Hello, welcome to a special weekend version of The Briefing. I get to hang out with you for another day. <laughs> Happy Saturday. Happy Saturday, everybody. Yeah, this guest is so interesting. We wanted to bring you a special episode just for him. It's Andrew Denton. Now, he's one of Australia's, I'd say, most loved media personalities. Um, yep. He's really well known as, as being an amazing interviewer. His most recent show was on Channel 7 called The Interview. Uh, before that, he had a show called Enough Rope on ABC, also an interview show. A few years ago, though, he became an activist, so did a bit of a pivot, and he's really passionate about having a choice about how we die. Yeah, he became a, a leading voice in Australia's euthanasia debate. Um, his dad had a really traumatising death, and that's what made um, Andrew Denton really passionate about this issue. Um, he's been working with Go Gentle. He's a director of that group. He's travelled um, the world, looking at how the laws work in some other countries. He did a podcast series about that. Since he's gotten on board and, and really been advocating in this space, Victoria passed its voluntary assisted dying laws and so has WA. And yesterday on the show, um, we did an in-depth look at the Victorian law, spoke to someone who'd been through it there. Mm. And now we wanted to get Andrew Denton's thoughts, given that he's been working around this issue for such a long time and feels so passionate about it. Yeah. And in Victoria, the records show that in the first six months of this law being passed, 52 people used it to end their life. We obviously expect the 12-month figure to be somewhere around triple that, so around 150 people. But let's have a chat to Andrew and, and see what he makes of it all. Yeah, here's our uncut interview uh, with Andrew Denton. Hope you enjoy it. Yeah, very uncut. Andrew, welcome to The Briefing. Thank you very much. Good morning. Good. Oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. <laughs> you don't want good morning, do you? That was a great start. <laughs> well, it depends when people listen. But we'll take Andrew Denton yeah. dropping the F word uh, any day of the week or any morning or afternoon. Yeah. But thanks for being... What a, what a seasoned professional I am. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Well, you know, look, it's a Saturday show. It's a loose show today. Everybody's relaxed. I'm relaxed. I'll be swearing all weekend. We're feeling good. Hello. <laughs> Hello. And thank you so much for having a chat with us about assisted dying. I know that you've been a massive advocate for it for many years now. Um, yesterday actually marked one year since the Victorian uh, laws came into effect. Have you celebrated in any way? No, not celebrating, um, other than in a quiet way. As it as it turns out, um, quite unexpectedly, uh, a friend of mine actually uh, used the Victorian law uh, just a couple of months ago. So I'm thinking of her and uh, thinking of other people I know that have used the law and what it's meant to them. Yeah, what's that like for you, Andrew? You've campaigned for this for years. The laws finally got passed in Victoria and there was a, a lot of debate around it. It's a very divisive, controversial topic, but it seems since these laws have been operating, there's been no major controversies. The, the debates faded away and the laws have just gone about doing their thing. Well, look, despite all the time I've spent focusing on this issue, um, to have it was quite unexpected when I discovered my friend was going to use this law. I knew she was very ill and um, it was very powerful for me. I mean, uh, my wife and I, uh, obviously because of uh, COVID, we're in another state. We couldn't be there. So we drank a toast to her at, at the time when we knew that she was going to farewell her family. But And that was very powerful. It's still a very strange thing um, to know that somebody is going to be alive and then they're not at an appointed hour. But I also knew from speaking to her family 
what it meant to her and to the family that she was able to spend the last weeks of her life uh, in control of her life and not at the mercy of um, her failing body, not at the mercy of medicine. And um, she uh, she really not just put her own affairs in order, but she left her family with extraordinary memories, which uh, most likely would not have been possible if this law hadn't been in place. Yeah. You, you talk about your friend and, and that kind of personal experience. How do you think the laws in Victoria have kind of, kind of panned out more generally in this last year? Look, I think mostly well and mostly as intended. Uh, we know from the last report that 52 terminally ill people have used them. Um, that being said, uh, the laws you recall at the time the debate uh, centred around what uh, the Premier Daniel Andrews referred to as the most conservative laws in the world. Now, they carried a lot of safeguards, and safeguards are important with a law like this because that was the only way they were going to get through the parliament. But some of them have proved to be extremely restrictive. And by restrictive, I mean people who are legally eligible to access these laws, people who are dying, are finding it very difficult to actually do that. And that's because... Uh, one of the stipulations was that um, one of the two doctors had to be a specialist in the disease. Now, unfortunately, if you live in a rural area, um, first of all, you have to be able to find a specialist in your disease. Secondly, you have to find a specialist in your disease who is willing to help you in this regard. Um, and um, but that, that actually really limits the number of people who are available to you. So I've also had stories of of people that have gone through help trying to get the necessary uh, medical certification so that they can get the medication. And some people, it's uh, the process has been so long, it's been too late. Mm. Do you think that they should not have a specialist? I mean, what what's one of the ways to rectify that well, issue? Yeah, that's an interesting point as well, Jan, because in the WA laws which have passed, you don't have to have that face-to-face consultation with the specialist as part of the process. So do you think that's a step forward? Look, I think uh, by the time somebody uh, reaches the point of wanting to uh, apply for voluntary assisted dying, they already um, have a great deal of uh, specialist input. You know, it's usually cancer or it's a new neurodegenerative disease such as motor neuron disease. So they've already been in the hands of specialists for some time. I think um, clearly a specialist needs to be consulted to confer on 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 the disease and, and where it's at and its trajectory. But uh, I think looking at the way the law is playing out, and, and that's combined with the fact that uh, doctors are not allowed to initiate the conversation under Victorian law, although they are in Western Australia, mm. and it can't be discussed over the phone. So if you're somebody who's seriously ill living in rural Victoria, the difficulty of actually um, ac- accessing this law, which is your legal right, is very, very high. So, look, these were things that we're only going to become clear once the law came into operation. There is a five-year review of the law, which will come up uh, in in four years' time. And I hope that once all the data has been accumulated, both anecdotal and and actual, that there may be some thoughtful uh, changes to the law so that the people it's meant to help are not disadvantaged. And that's not, and I know that there'll be people listening to this who oppose these laws who will say, oh, let's just slip this slope. They're trying to make it easier and easier. Mm. No, it's a matter of looking at the law as it was intended and going, well, is it working as it should for the people for whom it's intended? Mm. What sort of interests me about this is that nationally, in several states, 
we've come quite close to passing voluntary euthanasia yeah. laws. Um, in New South Wales, it was defeated in the upper house. I know Queensland and Tassie are talking about it, although deferring it to later in the year. But it's always been on the agenda. And in some cases, we've gotten close. What do you think it is that's sort of stopping other states from passing these laws? What's the hurdle we need to get over? I think it's uh, the better way to look at it is what was the uh, thing in common between the two states which have passed the laws, mm. Western Australia and Victoria, and it is that the government put forward the legislation. And what that meant was that uh, a number of things. First of all, government resources could be used to run a large committee, large committees of inquiry, which were not just into voluntary assisted dying, but all end-of-life care, and which were able to provide comprehensive evidence that there was a problem that needed to be addressed. They were then able to bring in an expert panel of, of uh, senior doctors and palliative care physicians to help them write the law. And then they're able, of course, to control the parliamentary timetable to, uh, so there could be a proper debate, to allocate more resources to palliative care, uh, which is a very important part of this debate because it's about better end-of-life care for everyone. Now, in every other attempt around Australia, even those that have failed by any vote, They've always been private members' bills of some kind and uh, or coalitions of MPs putting mm. forward bills. They can't bring any of that to the table. This is such a, a contested issue that it requires that level of resources and debate and discussion and expertise being brought to the table to convince enough MPs to pass that law. So in Queensland, from what I can see, it looks like it was the government driving the review, um, but they've then pushed this back till after the election. Is that the state that you think might move next or, or do you think the other states might go first? It depends entirely on the election. Uh, I think if you're a betting man, you would not be overly confident that Premier Palaszczuk will be returned. Uh, my sense of Queensland is that if the government is returned, they will put forward this legislation. But I know for a fact that if uh, the LNP win government, that they have no intention of ever putting forward this legislation. And um, uh, that's uh, really unfortunate because uh, the Queensland government has done all the hard work. They've done the inquiry. Uh, as with the other states, it's found that both palliative care and voluntary assisted dying uh, need to be put on the table. And um, if the government don't get back in, that inquiry will just go into a drawer somewhere and disappear. So the process will have to start all over again. And that's particularly sad in Queensland because they remain the only state in Australia whose parliament has never debated this law. Mm. Do you see any cultural changes around this issue? Because I know you have been advocating for it for years. Have you seen any cultural change from when you started advocating for it to now? On a community level, yeah. only one change, which is which is that something which when I started working on this about five years ago, there was all the consistent polling over about a decade showed that there was between 70 and 80% support for the idea that a terminally ill person uh, who was suffering uh, should be assisted to die. Now, that has moved to closer to 90% in that time. But you see, this is what confuses me because it's like it, it does have such widespread community support but then not passed in several states and is sort of considered contentious. So where's why is that happening? Well, I, I think uh, a couple of other things have happened over that time as well. Uh, one is actually an interesting shift in the medical profession, whereas five years ago only really the Australian Nursing Federation were the uh, were official supporters of this law. 
Now pretty much every major medical body in Australia, with the notable exception of the AMA, um, either supports this law or is neutral about it, and that includes Palliative Care Australia. But there's been a political shift which wouldn't really be obvious unless you're looking for it, uh, in that on the Liberal side of politics, and I refer to the Liberals, not the National Party, who uh, in Western Australia and New South Wales strongly supported these laws, but on the Liberal side of politics, state by state, and you've seen it in Victoria, and, and it's been obvious in Western Australia and, and is uh, apparent in Queensland and also in New South Wales. I guess what you call uh, conservative, and in some cases conservative Christian right uh, MPs are being pre-selected or politicians are being pre-selected. So those parties have moved from the old liberal centrist view, I guess you'd call it the Menzian view of individual choice, to a much harder, uh, often Christian-based socially conservative mm. view and uh, that has uh, that is affecting our social policies in many ways but most particularly it's affecting this issue so um, it's very very difficult uh, to find liberal MPs uh, who will support this law and in the end it's a, it's always a conscience vote in the parliament as it should be and there will always be some labor MPs who won't support it so you need some liberal MPs who will uh, I have incredible respect for the small group, the thin blue line of Liberal MPs in Victoria who supported that legislation I, under enormous pressure from within their own party not to do so. So I think the Christian right and the Conservative right who have uh, arranged things so that their members are pre-selected, they're doing what democracy allows. They're using the system to their benefit and it requires uh, those who oppose that to organise themselves better and to, um, to to win those pre-selection fights. So where do you see it going from here, Andrew? Do you think by the, the time it's your turn to, to die or our turn to die, the whole of Australia will give us that choice? Or do you see this political dance going on for decades? I think by the time I'm ready to go, Tom, which, you know, I turned 60 recently, so give like, me a minute. In about 50 um, years, sure plenty of time. <laughs> you got plenty of time, Andrew. <laughs> I'm not sure it'll be Australia-wide, but I think by the time uh, you guys are, are facing going down the chute, it may be, and here's why. The fact that it exists now in Victoria and, and will come into effect in, Tas in Western Australia um, next year, I think means that it's inevitable that eventually will be Australia-wide because it is simply inequitable and unfair to say that one-third of Australians have a full range of choices at the end of life and two-thirds of Australians do not. And I think the, the, the existence of these laws in the other states and the fact that their existence will disprove the remarkable fear campaign, which was run successfully for 20 years against them, in Australia, uh, says to me that other states are eventually going to go, not only, okay, we can see this this works, but that it has a place. It doesn't uh, detract from palliative care. It works alongside it. Um, it is reducing the suicide rate amongst the terminally ill. Yes, we can see that this is a safe and reasonable thing to do. So I think eventually uh, other states will follow suit. Yeah, and what will that be like for you, Andrew? Because you're known for being quite funny, but you've taken, a, I guess, a a really serious, intense, emotional journey to commit so much of your time and your energy to this cause. Will you, will you enjoy having a break from talking about death once all these laws have passed around the country? 
<laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> I'm actually trying to write a book about it and it's doing my it's doing my head in. And it is it is such a conversation style. But what do you what do you do now, Andrew? Well, let me talk to you about death and dying. Um yes, but having said that, uh, two things. It's an I mean, look, it's an amazing confluence of of the big rivers in our world, which is politics, religion, death, medicine, law, ethics. So it never ceases to be interesting. But but much more than that, uh, going back to my friend who used this law, I've had the extraordinary privilege of getting to know uh, people who who have died and spending time with them and to see what the law has meant to them and also to see tragically what the absence of the law has meant to them. Um, those are very powerful uh, life stories, and I feel very privileged to have been part of them. And some of them have involved humour, believe it or not. It's just not humour yeah. that's really good around a dinner party. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I think by even engaging in the conversation around choice, we're talking about death in a slightly more open way, whereas so often in our society it's sort of shunned and we have these sort of stiff funerals and then often people don't talk about it anymore compared to other cultures which which deal and, and embrace death in, in different ways. And I think ultimately the hope is that grief will be better somehow by engaging with it more openly. Look, I, I sincerely hope so and I absolutely know from my personal experience that uh, the grief of someone you love dying is very real but to know that they have died on their own terms and without uh, horrendous suffering uh, materially affects that level of grief. And to know that you have supported them in that materially affects that level of grief. Um, it is uh, it is a deeply humane thing to do and to act humanely towards someone you love uh, at the at the end of their life is is very powerful and life affirming for all the grief of losing somebody. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I think that's a perfect way to sum that up for sure. Yeah, thank you so much for this hilarious chat, Andrew. (laughs) (laughs) Look, I've only uh, ever heard one joke in five years about this and it's so dark, I'm not even going to share it. (laughs) Please, come on. you can't just tease us You know we want it. You know we want it. Okay, so so there are variations of this joke within the medical profession. One set of doctors will make it about another set of doctors, but the joke as I heard first heard it was this. Why do they put nails in a coffin? Answer, to stop the oncologist getting in to give you another line of chemotherapy. Oh. That is grim. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, see, you you asked. It's a, it's I mean, a, it's, a, it's and that's, funny. Um, we're laughing. We're laughing. Well, it's, it's, that will give you a sense of uh, there's not a lot of humour in this space, uh, <laughs> uh, to, to be perfectly honest. And fair enough too. Yeah. All right, Andrew, thank you so much for your time. Uh, it's a pleasure. Thanks for talking to me. Oh, Andrew Denton, it's great to speak to him. Such an insightful guy and there's never a, a smile too far away when you're speaking to him. No, and he really knows the topic like the back yeah. of his hand, doesn't he? Because it is so intricate. There's so many different uh, laws and bills in different states. He's across all of it. Yeah, I think the standout thing at the end was that once you have two states doing it, it is going to start to seem very, very weird. It already is that you can't do it in Albury, that you can in Wodonga. Yeah. But when that, that barrier comes up between Western Australia, South Australia and the Northern Territory as well, it's going to be even stranger. And we haven't heard of any major problems yet. Yeah. And if that continues, then I think eventually we will see this change come into force by the time our 
Our, <laughs> By the our time, time comes. We're ready to go. Yeah. I'm ready now. Oh, don't say that. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much for listening to this special weekend episode of The Briefing. We'll catch you Monday. Catch you Monday. A podcast one production.